0: leading into a game against the indiana football hoosiers alex drain has seen another linebacker he despises <laughs> and when we like
1: we finally like a linebacker it's all indiana. happening we always <laughs> like one linebacker from indiana
0: all right this is technically MGO radio i'm brian cook
1: i'm seth fisher
0: i'm alex drain and we would like to talk about our sponsors <laughs> hmm as soon as i bring that channel up mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you to underground printing for making all this all possible ugp makes custom apparel such as t-shirts and sweatshirts and was founded by two michigan alums over 20 years ago they have three retail locations in ann arbor and offer thousands of university of michigan athletic products for sale ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia check them out at ugp michiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the ngo would also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homesure Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, where we record on Sundays, and Signal Wire, which is where we are doing this one right now. All right. So Indiana comes into last season, and for the first time, perhaps in the history of Indiana football, they have expectations. They're oh no. ranked 17th in the preseason poll, and they even meet a little bit of that expectation when they beat Penn State on a fourth down scramble by Michael Penix, which was definitely short of the goal line, but everybody <laughs> on the internet was like, <laughs> no. just give it to them. Let awesome. him have this one. <laughs> and they got it. Yeah. And then everything fell apart. Yeah. And now they're here. They're three and two on the season, but they're 83rd and SP plus. And it really looks like this should be a bloodbath for Michigan offensively.
2: Yeah. Uh, Indiana's defense. They're really uh, struggling right now. They're getting Gashed in the in the passing game in particular, and that's kind of um, pretty disappointing because the thought was that this was going to be a particularly good secondary. That some of the other pieces on the defensive line, linebackers, had moved down, but they're returning two veteran corners who had uh, played really well in the past, and unfortunately, they're not playing very well right now. Uh, Tawan Mullen, who Uh, was all big 10 level for a few seasons. There had some injuries last year and the last couple weeks has just gotten attacked relentlessly in the passing game. And then Jalen Williams on the flip side has not been as sharp as usual, uh, not as rough as Mullen, but he's also dealing with an injury. And so we don't know if he's available either. And part of the issues are related to the fact that they have to blitz on basically every play to get any pressure And if they don't get pressure, the cornerbacks are just not making the stops right now.
0: Yeah, the uh, targeting data you put in your preview of the Indiana defense was shocking. Because Taiwan Mullen showed up in this conference as a true freshman, was immediately one of the best corners in it. And for him to be targeted repeatedly over any other Indiana corner is uh, a performance drop that, uh, well, Michael (laughs) Penix-like. Yeah. Ah, uh, whatever bad juju this program has is uh is not done with it yet,
2: yeah, and you know with Penix, there was somewhat of an explanation injury wise mullen last year a little bit, but I don't know it's a little little concerning and and their safeties are pretty veteran too I mean they're starting a four year player, a fifth year player, a fifth year player, and a sixth year player in the secondary, and these are not transfers. these are guys who've been in the program and yet. The last three weeks, they're given up close to 70% completion on almost nine yards an attempt and a lot of touchdowns, not enough interceptions. And that's kind of the primary problem right now. But again, it's hard to talk about the passing game without talking about the fact they don't get any organic pass rush. And so they registered as the blitziest team uh, I've seen so far. And it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> they are just getting ripped apart if they don't ramp it up.
0: It does seem like they have one guy who might be able to generate a little bit by himself. He's a true freshman. He's six foot five. He's two hundred and twenty five pounds. So not a guy who's really ready for full time duties. But Dasan McCullough already has four sacks on the
2: air despite having that kind of Uche role. Um, do you well, think he? Go ahead. It it helps that he was a number seventy five overall uh, recruit in the composite. This is a guy who is a much better recruit than typically anything Indiana has. He was the number nine edge in the country in his recruiting class. That's I did a I almost did a spit take at that. Jesus. Uh, <laughs>
0: how does it happen? Oh, he's from Bloomington. Okay. That makes a little bit of <laughs> yeah, sense. I, guess.
1: I, I had to look up the same thing. Uh, that, and the, um, I mean, that's the only guy they really got. Like the, they have a ton of transfers on this team. The starters on defense, not so much. The starters, on de- like, one of the stars on defense, Brian Fitzgerald. I don't know if you remember him, but he played against us. in, I think 2017, uh, he was the he was a husky when he was a true freshman. And like he, like the that's their you know their okay. We just player, talked right? about right. <laughs> you yeah. gotta
0: be very clear. he didn't play for UConn, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it, it's their space backers. <laughs> Michigan
1: spot. plays lots of huskies. All right, but that's the that's the, that's their term for their space backer. Um, and he he was actually good at that, but he like the problem he was always slow. And like they've moved him back to strong safety full time, and they're playing this tiny little um, nickel at that position where he's supposed to still kind of be a linebacker, and their blitzes require him to kind of blitz sometimes. And you know, if there's a guy that, uh, it's just it, it's it's weird seeing Indiana not have that kind of player when that seems to be the easiest kind of player to find. Well, um, it was
0: Marcelino Ball there for about 12 years? So yeah, I'm uh, sure well, it was the guy who kind we, of bad. we didn't for the actually. Ball. I was talking about Desad McCullough and I just yeah. wanted Alex's take on whether he could be a problem for Michigan on passing downs. Is this guy already good enough that he's going to consistently beat a Trent a. Jones or a
2: Ryan Hayes? I, I didn't see him like a ton in the passing situation. The way he popped up the most was that, you know, he comes on sometimes when they do their five uh, man defensive line and Nebraska would put him, he would be on the backside of a play and Nebraska would just never block him. Never. Nobody touched him on like a huge chunk of the plays. And so oftentimes he would be um, the guy like looping around the backside to bring a play down from behind. And I was (laughs) repeatedly just like, why does, why don't they touch him at all? Um, But I didn't see a ton in the pass rushing situations um, at the moment. So I would I don't know per per se. Um, otherwise, I don't have a lot to say about these pass rushers overall. Um, it, it was the blitzes from the second level that were doing something. The particularly Cam Jones of the linebacker, and then Noah Pierre the Husky.
1: Yeah, that's well, kind of what I was trying to get at. There is that, like they Brian Fitzura was the guy who was actually good at that.
2: Well, I mean, the thing about
0: Tom Allen is he's always been really good at devising and timing blitzes, giving you unusual looks. And you can see that in the sack rates that Indiana generates. Um, They're 76th on standard downs and they're 14th on passing downs. So, you know, given the state of the secondary and given the way Indiana currently shapes up as a team that does nothing on standard downs and then gets unleashed on passing downs, this seems like a, a game for some first down play action for Michigan.
2: Yeah, and this is a game where I am pretty interested in just seeing them let JJ air it out a little bit, and ideally, you'd want to see him hit a couple big plays because Cincinnati hit some. Nebraska had a seventy-yard touchdown um, bomb to Trey Palmer over the top. I think Idaho had a big play. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a concerning number of busts for the experience they have at the in the safety level, so in particular, this is a game where we want to see if JJ's deep ball is finally uh, in sync with his receivers and is kind of ready to go. Um, but overall, this is a defense that the pass defense is kind of the issue right now, but I am also sort of wondering whether Michigan will be able to just load up with the meat, two, three tight ends out there and just, Run the ball on them like they did Maryland and to some degree Iowa as well. I mean, I don't, I didn't see enough there to make me think that they're going to lock down the trenches either. I think that Michigan could probably do whatever they want.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was something that I think we both came to independently just looking at the personnel here because yep. you, do, you did mention that when they go big, they tend to bring in McCullough as yep. a fifth defense alignment. And as I mentioned, 6'5, two freshmen, 225. I mean, I can't imagine that. Michigan's tight ends aren't going to eat that guy up.
2: Well, and the other and, guy they rotate in is is JH T- uh, Tevis, the defensive tackle, and he's two eighty two, and he's right. kind of their pass rushing defensive tackle as well. He's but the like, other guy. it's
0: possible that if they are inclined to go to a five man front, they would go to him, and because he is sixty pounds heavier and can give them more of a five two look. And I mean, he was a starter at Cal last year. I looked up his his bio, and I was like. This is this is a very odd transfer because that's like Cal's not great, but it's a pretty lateral move for an established starter. Um, but that does give uh, Indiana a, a modicum of depth there. Yeah, so I think Michigan will try it. They'll throw out some three tight end sets, see how it's doing, and then if it's not doing that great, they'll just return to bombing it through the air against the secondary. It looks very vulnerable to that.
2: Yeah, I generally agree. I mean, this is. Not a defense that I think is going to pose a lot of problems for Michigan. They've given up, uh, was it forty-five to Cincy, thirty-something to Western Kentucky, thirty-five to Nebraska. I mean, doesn't seem like a great unit.
0: Yeah, um,
2: goes without saying, pretty much.
0: Do we have anything else on this before we hit to a break?
2: Uh, we have to talk about the offense. Yeah, I thought we were going to do that after the break.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. We're okay. we're gonna get
1: Indiana because we got. I, I want to get a whole bunch of hockey in this episode.
0: <laughs> all right, that's right, that's right Yeah, about yeah that. it's our hockey all, right, uh, all right, so <laughs> On the offensive side of the ball, they bring in Connor Bazelak, a Mizzou transfer And they're having him throw about 90 passes a game 90% of those Passes are within 5 yards of the line of scrimmage Both It's belt. this offense again We've seen it in Hawaii That was their offense, UConn, that's their offense Different personnel But pretty much the same limitations Because they're starting a D2 transfer At tackle now Went, went to the University of West Texas A&M, which I <laughs> did not know existed until today.
2: Yeah, this is I had seen some of Indiana's games this year, but had not watched them kind of cohesively until this week. And I just was struck by what Jamie said on Sunday, where he said that this offense is like watching a guy sprint really fast on a treadmill and then fall down after 30 seconds because they (laughs) they, they move really fast and they run a lot of plays and they don't really go anywhere and it's a very upsetting experience um because it's just the offense you run if you have no desire to do anything explosive if you have no desire to do anything particularly good you just Run screen after screen after screen, and they run three—I uh, think three point one plays per minute—the fastest in. Uh, I think it's D <laughs> one. Oh, Jamie had that stat on Sunday. Um, oh God! <laughs> and, well, uh,
0: seems like the UFR tables have turned. So. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, they, get I, get ten I, play drives that go thirty yards. They did. They, I, I they mentioned played.
1: that in the UFR. I think I said like, you know, I got Walt Bell next week, so everybody just be nice to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the they played um they played Illinois week one. That's the one I did. They ran 82 or something plays against Nebraska last week. They ran 104 plays. Um <laughs> so their their screen game either goes to one of three people. They have two receiving backs, Sean Shivers and um Henderson, Josh Henderson. Those are two transfers, one from Auburn, one from North Carolina. They're both, you know, little speedy guys. Um And then Cam Camper is their primary uh, screen wide receiver, but he's hurt. So is DJ Matthews. We're not sure if either guy is going to be healthy. Matthews is their one viable deep target. The offense is totally different if those guys are healthy versus injured. So whether they have hope of doing anything may rest on uh, their ability to come into this game fully healthy. And then also the tight end, uh, AJ Barner is also a guy they throw some screens to, and so they do all kinds of stuff. They line up with four and five out wide. They'll do trips to the top, and then two guys block. They'll do flare screens, smoke screens, tunnel screen. I mean, it's just (laughs) on and on and on, but the thing they don't do is really threaten you in any explosive manner outside of a couple deep shots to Matthews.
0: Those have to be carefully picked, because if they get in situations where the opposition can expect uh, a pass, is more than five yards down the field, their offensive line falls apart. Right. So similarly um, to their defense, it's a totally different story on a passing down versus a standard down. Two percent sack rate on a standard down, eight point <laughs> three on a passing down. So pretty much just get these guys to a passing down and let Mike Morris and the go to it, and yeah, probably going to get off the field.
2: Yeah, I mean Parker Hannah, the transfer you mentioned, who is now filling in for. Matt Bedford, he tore his ACL in the game I watched against Illinois. That was week one. I saw enough in a half of Parker Hannah to know what's going on there. And the <laughs> results <laughs> have not been any different since then. And it, it's not just that, though. The rest of the line's pretty creaky. I mean, Luke Haggard's been around for a long time, he's a pretty decent player overall. But is wobbly in pass-pro situations. Both of the guards, I think, are weak spots, potentially. Zach Carpenter got pushed in a locker in the game I saw against Illinois. (laughs) Um, He's done better in other games, so we didn't give him the cyan. but that was not a great showing from him. And this unit, they can't pass-protect at all. They also can't run the ball at all. I mean, at all. At all. (laughs) Their yards-per-carry clips are shocking. And so... They're like 128th in line yards. Yeah. And they only run it 15, 20 times a game because it's not even worth trying. Yeah. <laughs> they run it a few times. And they're like, yep. No they have difference. the element of
0: surprise <laughs> on their side, and those are still their results.
1: Do, do you? I mean, does anybody remember like 2017-ish Maryland? I know that's a dumb question because nobody has any capability to remember like
0: old Maryland teams. <laughs>
1: But like that was Walt Bell, right? Like if, if they, he had like these little scat backs all the time and like yeah, they, But he said
0: he had some real talent at running back. But he back. had
1: running backs that could Yeah, so the problem is they got a couple transfers and neither one of them are really panning out. And that's what you need. The the players themselves have to do it because they just avoid the offensive line entirely, right? They they're going to line up guys and they're going to have um people covered and whatnot, and they don't care. It's just like, we're going to put a ton of space around this one dude and see if you can tackle him. And I just I don't see it working against Michigan, because Sainer's still showing he can do that. Rod Moore's showing he can do that. Leave R.J. Moten deep and place man coverage on these guys, and you're done.
0: Well, man coverage can be uh, sketchy against these kind of screen-heavy teams sometimes, so you're going to have to keep a uh, head on a swivel there. Um, mm-hmm. so the other thing about Basilek that I think you noted, Alex, is that Once you get beyond the 8 to 10 yards downfield, his accuracy gets really shaky.
2: Yeah, and I came into this game kind of thinking that he had a noodle arm because I had watched the final drive against Illinois live at the time, and I remember he was short-arming all these throws to guys who were only like 6 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And then I went and actually watched a full game, and that's not really the case. I mean, sometimes he underthrows, and sometimes he throws it way over the guy's head. And it's just kind of all over the place um, for him. So, yeah, it, it's he's okay. He can throw the screens competently. He can run a little bit, not very much, but they do give him a couple reads. They ran the option with him at one point. Um, but is he better than Evan Simon at Rutgers? Yeah. But is he <laughs> particularly I was, I was
0: momentarily terrified you were gonna say no there, and I was like, that's yeah. really I what you said is better guys. than I thought you were
3: gonna
1: mention, like the Yukon or Hawaii starters. Like I, I that's where I thought you were going with that conversation. Hey,
2: UConn Yukon won an FPS game last week. They did.
0: <laughs> they did. Michigan's best night Res- conference. Best State, hang our head in shame. <laughs> um so I looked at their special teams. Pretty much the only thing to note was that their punting was very bad last year and looks like it's not any better this year. So they gave up 20 returns last year, and that's a pretty hefty number for modern college football. So this might be an opportunity for AJ Hayden to get something done. Their kicker's pretty decent. Not great, but solid. Uh, final score. Estimations, gentlemen. Alex.
1: I can I point out something real quick? Oh. He's the the punter is not an Aussie as you said in your preview. He's a New Zealander. So, kind of more of a Oh god, if <laughs> just mortally
0: offended Indiana's punter, he's going to come for me. That's the worst thing you can do to a Kiwi. Yes. Yes. That is the worst thing you can do. That that are like start the conversation with Lord of the Rings. Oh. Well, at least he's a punter. <laughs> yeah. if he was a rugby player, I'd be in real trouble. Alex, final score. Um Forty-two thirteen, 13 Seth? Forty-two twenty-seven. I had 39 5- 27? Well, I just, I, I've got a bit now. Oh. 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 Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. Come back and, uh, is it UFR H- first or hockey? Hockey. 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 Hockey.
3: Hockey. Hockey.
1: Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union... Or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter. Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order. Chasing people down to pay. Wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com.
4: At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth man in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over 240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog.
5: Peak Wealth Management.
4: Retire with confidence.
5: One,
1: and two, and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call a criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458, or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School, and he looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious 6-bedroom, 6-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com.
0: Welcome back to MGo Radio 8.5. We welcome in Dave Nasternak from Yoast Ice Arena. How you doing, Dave?
6: I'm doing well, but uh, Stephen Adams was talking to me, and he's not so happy with you, Brian.
0: Who's? Oh, no! <laughs> I, I thought he was a hockey player for a second, and then I'm like, no, wait, he's very angry at me because he's a <laughs> So the puck drops on Michigan hockey's 100th season in about 90 minutes against Lindenwood. If you haven't heard of Lindenwood, that's fine. There are many people who attend Lindenwood who have never heard of Lindenwood. <laughs> just this is a uh, program <laughs> that just started a D1 hockey team. It's in St. Louis, I want to say. Yep. And yep. uh, they're coming off a sweep at the hands of Minnesota, but they were fairly competitive in the second game.
6: Uh, caveats being Minnesota's backup goalie giving up two shorthanded goals, I think. So
0: okay.
6: not sure if that's or, we're,
0: new, we're grading on a curve here. OK,
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think their coach. Um, oh, what's his name? Former Red Wing.
2: Rick Zombo. Zombo. Zombo Alex, did yeah. it? Zombo from <laughs> Alex, did, did no anyone one,
6: contact you? No, you one have to buy anyone tickets and oh dinner at Culver's.
2: No one contacted me <laughs> with a Rick Zombo jersey. That's did unfortunate. You, uh,
0: did, did, does he, it's like. He's on vote. Anyway, let's not talk about Lyndon, but let's talk about Michigan. So they enter the season. We'll start with the defense. Luke Hughes, possibly the Hobie Baker favorite, give or take Hobie Baker voters being weird. Uh, Jacob Truscott, probably going to be his pairing uh, mate because that's what they've done their entire career so far. And then you have Ethan Edwards, although apparently not tonight, as an offensive defenseman. You have Seamus Casey as in their offensive defenseman. And I feel like. The questions on that six man unit: Who's going to pair with those two guys?
7: Well,
2: yeah. Well, so we'll see, David. What's the what's the line chart looking like tonight? Because so it's Tr- Truscott and Hughes, Casey okay. Holtz, and then Fantilli and Pearson. Presumably which, the Edwards spot. Probably. Yeah, because yeah.
0: Fantilli is also more of an offensive defenseman. Yeah.
2: yeah. So. I, you, between Holtz, Pearson, and Triscott, you have three defensive defensemen, and then in the three Brian mentioned is the offensive guys. I mean, it's pretty logical ways you can you can put those guys together. It depends on whether you want to talk about familiarity or handedness in terms of configuring the pairs, but um, those seem like the six guys. The other three options are Fantilli, Driskinis, and Brendan Miles, who all seem like developmental players, freshmen without a ton of pizzazz and their recruiting profile. So it seems like those are the six guys. And I feel pretty solid about that. Um, to be clear, have...
1: just in case people don't realize, you're talking about the older Fantilli, not not the, not Correct. the younger yeah, one. You yeah. When you say not a whole lot of recruiting. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and Fantilli Adam Fantilli
6: is <laughs> he's clearly on the top line, yeah. so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs>
1: Just wanted to make sure anyone was like, wait a minute, I thought. (laughs) All right. Yep. Yep. Yep.
2: (laughs) All right. So uh, because you have in returning there, you have Triscott, who is a two year starter. You have Hughes, who's one year starter and and a star. Ethan Edwards, one year starter and a star. Keaton Pearson or borderline star. Keaton Pearson, four year player at this point. Um, and then Steve Holtz played 11 or 12 games last year. So that's four returners plus a guy who played some games in the Big Ten last season. So I think there's a higher floor at defense than a lot of people give him credit for. And then you plug in Seamus Casey, a second-round pick. I think there's plenty of talent there, plenty of re- returning uh, production. Yes, you lose some good players in power in Blankenberg, but I-, I think people are selling the defense a little short, perhaps.
6: Well, we talked well, about on HockeyCast that just, like, that could be – the strength of the team, at least until the forwards kind of begin to gel and sort of find their legs and you work out the lines. Cause I mean, I'm looking through the lines and I mean, they got Nolan Moyle on the second line tonight, you know, we'll see if that sticks. We'll see if that's just a, this weekend thing, but you know, we're not completely sure where all of the scoring is going to come from. There's obviously a lot of talent at freshmen, but you know, we do know that there's a lot returning on defense and you know, Michigan's defense has gotten better over the last second halves of the last couple of years. And then obviously the goalie that, you know, we'll talk about in a minute, but um, that's this series aside, but going forward, that's sort of where I'm thinking the Michigan is going to
0: find their comfort and work from there. So I think we have a idea of what to expect from Hughes. We have an idea of what to expect from Truscott person and Holtz, probably pretty small windows. Like they're not going to be, superheroes are probably not going to be disasters to me the swing guys on the defense are edwards and casey now edwards came on in the second half of last year really looked extremely dynamic i was actually surprised to hear alex call him a star and then correct himself a little bit but it does feel like he might be on the verge of that yeah and and casey looked pretty freaking fun in the the exhibition (laughs) so i uh what are your what are your takes on those two guys
2: well, I mean, Casey is a guy that had a, a much better, uh, you know, profile in terms of his skill and his ability to handle the puck than a lot of defensemen, even guys that get drafted pretty highly. That's his calling card. So I think you're going to have a lot of fun moments with him dangling guys and things like that. And I, I'm curious to see his defense because um, draft profiles were a little more optimistic about his at least defensive fundamentals. So we'll see if that can hold up. Um he's a little bit lighter of a guy too, right? And and that's the same thing with Ethan Edwards. Two smaller guys are not super heavy. And that's where I'm excited to have Holtz back on the on the blue line to be able to provide a little bit of thump to to counteract some of those size issues because we saw that a little bit against uh four checking teams in the tournament and some of the postseason games. Well, and
6: because they're split down the middle in terms of like activated offensive defensemen and sort of stonewall pillar defensemen, you can pair each of them up and then you can allow people to do what they do best. And I think the other thing that we haven't really gotten into as much is that, you know, with Nerado, I expect them to be a little more progressive and going for it in terms of like you know, the NHL has sort of been taken over in some ways by offensive defensemen that can carry the puck and go and create. And I think that Michigan has a chance to do that, um, especially like with Brian said with Hughes. And then, I mean, Casey's looked good, too. So and Edwards had his moments. So when you there's there, I think they can get some deep some offense out of their defense uh, up and down their pairings.
0: All right, let's move on to the forwards. The top line seems pretty locked in at this point. Dylan Duke, Mackie Samuskevich, and the aforementioned Adam Fantilli. This line looked fantastic against Windsor. I love the combination of Fantilli with Samuskevich, who just needs a little bit of room to get a rocket of a wrister off, and then Dylan Duke as the net front guy who gets in the corners and grinds and cleans up all the messes that these guys are going to make in the offensive zone.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, Fantilli. Is the the big uh, <laughs> the big guy on this team? We'll see how quickly he can assimilate to college hockey. But he looked pretty sharp in the exhibition, and uh, he's a player that has a ton of hype coming in. And when you look at the comparables that I I put in the season preview stuff, in terms of guys that scored at his level at his age in the USHL, they're all extraordinarily impressive comparisons and guys that were instant stars in college hockey. And so if he shows up, could least... we, could we get some names there for people who aren't familiar? <laughs> uh, so uh, a guy C- named C- Kyle, careful Co- with the last one, <laughs> a guy named uh, Kyle Connor, who I don't think people have ever heard of him, but yeah, Thomas Vanek, who is a pretty good NHL player for a period of time. Very good at Minnesota when he played there in the early 2000s. And then you can, the the loftier one, uh, which isn't the most ideal because, he did play at the USNTDP, but draft position, everything else in terms of what scouts want to see is, is Jack Eichel. The year he played at, at Boston U. Those guys were all scoring in the 60 point range. Michigan didn't have any guys scoring in that range last year. So it seems pretty unrealistic in theory, but look, if this guy wants to go at the top of the draft in a loaded draft year, he needs to come in and rock college hockey and, and uh, show that he's one of the very best players in the country right away. So, We'll see if he can do that. The nice thing is he might not have to because you have Samuelskiewicz, because you have uh, Frank Nazar when he's healthy, and potentially Rucker can help as well. And then even a guy like Dylan Duke, who I'm hoping to see take some steps forward. We heard that he worked on his skating in the offseason. If he can become more dynamic and dangerous with the puck on his stick, that will go a long way.
0: Yeah, I mean... For for Duke, I mean, 19 points as a freshman in 41 games. Like, I don't necessarily think he needs to take a big step forward to become a point per game player. Maybe he'll be more of a passenger on this line. But even a passenger on this line, it's going to get a ton of opportunities. And I mean, I I liked his game as a freshman. You're, I mean, he wasn't a great skater, but he was really good in the corners and a guy who was always seemingly in the right place at the right time. So. Hockey yeah. IQ has a lot to do with his ability. I, I, you
1: need, I don't, you need I don't, a dude okay. like that on like the Euro Twins <laughs> line, right? Like you have these two guys who are incredibly skilled, incredibly fast. Sam Skavitch. You need to get him space, and then you just need somebody to kind of go in and and muck about in front of the net a little bit. And you know, D- Duke is the perfect guy for that because you know he plays. That. Neither
0: of those guys are European, though. I don't know what you're saying.
1: <laughs> but you know what? But yeah, but like they're that's Michigan's top skill line, and then you you add a guy who's going to be like the the muck muck in the front of the net because yeah. you don't want to you know you don't want Fantilli doing that. The, the well, big he's thing I'm able
0: to. I, but go ahead.
6: The big thing with Duke, and I think Samuskevich too, is not as much will they get that much better, but will their production increase because their roles increased? And I mean, this is clearly going to be their top line. It's probably going to be the centerpiece of their power play unit, you would think. So they're just going to have a lot more opportunities. And and Duke did well with his opportunities last year as sort of a bouncing around but then settling around the third line. Well, now he's going to be moving up and getting a lot of offensive zone draws and playing with the best players on the team. As long as his work rate stays the same, I would expect his production to go up even without getting better, so to speak.
0: And I think he will. I mean, I think that's something yeah. that's definitely in the offing. Right. All right. Moving on from the projected top line. Now you have a blender of about six guys who could end up in various it's, spots. I mean, go ahead. not,
6: well, just tonight, it's weird because, yeah. you know, they and have great, out. Right. And they have stuff, have McGrory, McGority, but they also have Moyle on the second line. And Alex and I talked about this as, like maybe they're going to try him or a stop up top to see if he can fit and sort of be the grinder finisher on those lines um, in front and in the corners. I don't know that either one of those guys are going to be top six second line players, but I mean, with a couple of their players out, it might not be a bad time to try it. Um, and then you look down at the third line, you have Hallam's a freshman, Hughes, a freshman, Ciccolini returns, a guy that we liked a couple of years ago, missed all of last year to an unfortunate injury. But at the end of two years ago was starting to score. I think he had seven goals down the stretch, which was kind of a jump. I believe that was his, was that his sec- second year, first Off year. Sophomore year, yeah. yeah. And then the fourth line is kind of going to be, what we talked about before, like yeah, it's just a blender of guys who are
0: pretty solid, but you know, as a fourth line, it'll be fine. Yeah, so like, I mean, what are they going to get out of mcgordy and Brindley? Can Jackson Hallam translate what was a fantastic USHL year? I mean, he's a year older than some of the freshmen. He was he was drafted a year ago. He spent his d his D plus one year in the USHL. Um, we have an inside contact in the USHL who thought he was one of the very best players in that league. So, I mean, it looks like they're going to have two more lines that could hypothetically be productive. And then TJ Hughes is another guy where it's like, what are you going to get out of him? Because he scored like a maniac in in the AJHL as a 20-year-old. So does any of that translate? You can go back in the AJHL and you look at their overagers and none of them do anything. So does this guy's excessive scoring pace make him more of a a threat to actually do stuff in college. Can I quote Alex? Sure. Maybe. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Thanks.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, TJ Hughes, no one knows anything about. He was never on draft radars. There's uh, seldom clips of him. It's kind of a big unknown, and they added him to the class late in late May, and then he's in the lineup for the exhibition. Is he in the lineup tonight, David? Yeah, Yeah, he's he's the the third line line center. Okay. So, which is higher than I anticipated. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get a look at him and and see how, how he looks. I don't really, I don't really know what to expect from him. Brindley is a guy I'm kind of excited about. I, um, I like his skill set and what he can bring. I think he's not being talked about perhaps as much because he hasn't been drafted yet, playing in his draft eligible year at Michigan, but a unique, uh, set of tools. I mean, there's too much talent here to not have, productive second and third lines it's just a matter of using the first few months of the season to find the combinations that work find some cohesion and then when you really get into calendar 2023 kind of have something going and and getting
6: naser back is key i think because he he sets that second line center role i don't know that brinley's ready to be a second line center maybe um, and then the third line you'd kind of want that to be Brinley, and then the fourth line you can jumble. But without that you asked, what can McGrory do? Well, I'm gonna guess not quite as much without Naser. Now maybe this weekend because of level of competition and all that. But going forward, especially look next week and BU comes to town. Hopefully he'll be ready to go. I, I mean I don't know. If I have any official word or anything, but it seems that it's probably some level of injury related. If he didn't play
0: last weekend either, I mean. So specifically, McGroarty was supposed to be top 10, maybe top five pick. And then his draft stock dropped considerable amount, still went 14th overall and produced with the national team in a way that makes you think that he's going to be an immediate impact guy in hockey, in college hockey. 35 goals, 34 assists, 69 points in 54 games. If you do that with the U18s, you're a scoring line player pretty much from day one in college hockey.
2: And he was the captain of the NTDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, people love him, love the intangibles. And he's an interesting player because Michigan doesn't take a lot of guys like him. The big knock and part of related to his fall in the draft was the skating. And Michigan tends to take really good skaters and they don't tend to take a lot of big guys that are more plotting. And Rucker offers a little bit of a contrast. I think that can help them out against teams like Notre Dame, for example, that mm-hmm. he can bully his way uh, into the corners, the front of the net, all that kind of stuff and and create some opportunities for Michigan as a puck retriever. And we'll see how long this, how far the skill comes along, but I think it's a good contrast because Michigan brings in so many Nasers and Jackson Hallams and Ethan Edwards and Gavin Brindley's. And I mean, Michigan is the king of the five ten guy that can fly and can handle the puck. And it's nice to have the six, two guy that's filled out and can kind of beat you up.
0: Yeah. I think your
1: quote was about damn time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I I think one of the reasons that McGordy's draft stock did rebound some is that he worked a lot on his skating in the summer before his draft year. So that knock may not be quite as uh, as bad as it, as it used to be. And then, I mean, you get to the fourth line, and it's kind of like you still got – I think Mo- Nolan Moyle is going to have a, a place there after Nazar comes back. That's the guy who gets booted out of the uh, top nine, I imagine. And then you've got LaPointe. You've got uh, Draper. So- Astapa. and then
6: maybe TJ Hughes. I mean, Granowitz is there now. It's tough to get a read on what it's actually going to be, but because they're not playing Nazar and then, uh, and point, then you've got Jay Karen
0: in, who's kind of a jack of all trades, who's been pretty yeah. effective when he's gotten on the ice for Michigan.
6: And he's actually the seventh D tonight. I assume that he's going to be the swing man. Alex and I talked about that in the hockey cast this week of just being, he's almost perfect for that role because when, if, when, however you want to look at it, someone takes a five minute major. Now he steps in and can fill that spot.
1: Hey, can, can we no, not do not that this when. year
3: though?
0: <laughs> 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 and then I don't know if there's anything to say about Eric uh Portillo, other than Portillo. You know, Portillo. <laughs> 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 Portillo. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. No, 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 no but no, somebody no, did. Somebody did last Penn year. Announcer, right? I
4: did
6: that last yeah. year, but I No, because I just, you see that. He, he's actually year. in the pronunciation guide
0: now as Portillo. So. Well, we've we figured this out now. So, you know, Richter semi semifinalist, still six foot six or whatever. I mean, what do I mean? He's Maybe good. He's. Yeah, first shot stopper had some rebound control issues last year. That was pretty much the only knock you could have on him.
6: You know, you, you had talked for years about um, kind of getting frustrated with Michigan's goalies not shutting down breakaways or two on ones and that sort of thing. And you know, it's debatable as if you know what percentage those should should go in or whatever but I'll tell you that watching Portillo last year that might have been one of his biggest strengths and it probably comes from his size and his ability to move a little bit but I mean Michigan at times last year not consistently throughout the year but at times was prone to give up odd man rushes and he was as good as I've seen at least at this level in keeping the puck out of net in those situations I I mean Alex you and I've debated this a couple of times but I mean it's it's hard to come up with a whole lot better in those situations especially when you're talking about are your defensemen going to go forward? Because if they are, it's just, it's bound to happen. And when you have a guy like that back there, and that's, that's a perfect recipe.
2: I mean, Portillo is a, an awesome player and no doubt the most important, but also the one that I think gives the team such a high floor is that you look at the big 10 in particular, and you've kind of got the teams that have goaltending the teams that don't. And with him back there, you feel very, very confident that it will not be a Wisconsin situation where you have a decent team, and it's just undercut by the fact you can't get a save at any point. Penn State as well last year, so I think he'll help them kind of prop up the tent a little bit early on if they run into some issues. Uh, we saw him, if you remember the the game against Michigan Tech during the GLI situation, where yeah. it's not a very talented roster, and and he dragged them to a tie in that game. So. <laughs> that was- That was a game. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's in the repertoire. Well, they will not be
0: playing in the GLI this year or probably ever again. Hopefully. Uh, They finally decided that playing a bunch of games when you have seven to eight eight guys gone at the World Juniors is not the best idea in the world. Um, But they have fairly loaded up the schedule. They've got BU. They've got, oh, I forget. They go to Lake State
6: like Lake State. Home and home with Western, which you know that place is going to be lit. Yeah, on,
0: I, might, totally. I might try to go to that game. That is going to be on Saturday after after a,
6: after a football game on Saturday. Oh, is that, is is that, still that Nebraska week? Season? What week is that? It's it's either Nebraska or Illinois. It's one of those two. <sighs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Actually, it it might be State. I think it's State.
0: The I think it's 29th. State's going to be a night game, though, so... Yeah. Well, that's out the window.
6: But anyway, um, so they play them. And also the team that kind of gets overlooked is Harvard's coming in for Ohio State football weekend. So, you know, <laughs> those are last year. Michigan went to Minnesota and played what Duluth and Minnesota State. And then they brought in UMass. And I mean, they, they brought in and Western. I mean, they had some big boppers and they've kind of refilled that schedule. And I think that's good. I mean, this yeah. is what you want when you want to contend in the tournament is you want to play teams like this, know where you stand up, know what those games feel like. Um, And, and Michigan has improved their scheduling. I think the days of scheduling St. Lawrence are over, although they do start with
0: Lindenwood. So (laughs) maybe we're going to get both ends. You you, you can, you can say art. We have one warm up weekend and then we get into the real stuff,
6: which maybe works out if, if those three guys are just not ready or at least Edwards and Nazar. So,
0: yeah. All right. Position in the big 10. And NCAA seed, you can say no bid if you're really pessimistic. Me? Yeah. First? Oh. Yeah. Um, you know, Alex
6: talked about them being right there with Minnesota, and it'll come down. It'll be really close. I think they will be one or two. They're both probably a slot ahead of Notre Dame. I think that Notre Dame will blow a couple of games they don't really want to to lose. And so, you know, maybe it's the winner of that season series. Um, and then in the tournament – I think that the team has one side upside, one seed upside, um, but I'll
2: probably say a two this year. All right, Alex. Yeah, I have uh, second in the Big Ten, number six overall, number two seed. That's two seed oddly lines. specific. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I. All right. So there, there is our hockey experts
0: projecting the uh, up, up to, uh, upcoming hockey season. Guys, got any last things to get off your chest? One thing is they've moved a lot of the seven thirty
6: games back to seven, which I am all in favor for. So don't think that it maybe they're going oh. to change, but they're now at seven o'clock. No, but so it's so hard for me to
1: get to those after after <laughs> MGO radio. I hate that. If
6: you're if you're uh yeah. getting BTN plus at some point this year, don't don't tune in too late. You don't gotta work until six
0: thirty on a Friday, my dude. <laughs> I just gotta say that this is either going to be the most cathartic season for Notre Dame hockey ever or the worst because they're going up against Rucker McGordy at Michigan and Logan Cooley at Minnesota. The number three and 14 overall picks in the draft. Both former Notre Dame commits. I mean, they wouldn't let him score anyway. So yeah. ouch, <laughs> but still, ouch. Can you can you imagine that is like <laughs> J.J. McCarthy flipping to Ohio State. And or then, flipping from Notre Dame to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he was never, having he was never committed. Although okay. I have I have read he the, was, odd, have read the odd Notre Dame message board thread about this fateful quarterback recruiting decision that Notre Dame has apparently made. I don't buy that he was going to commit to Notre Dame in the spot. That's some Tom Loy stuff right there. <laughs> anyway, we've gotten off the tracks. So we're going to take a break and let Dave get back to covering the hockey game.
4: Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on Emgo Blog, looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to Emgo Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com mgo blog.
3: Peak wealth management.
4: Retire with confidence.
2: The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications.
5: Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications.
2: These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be.
5: You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, the video, voice, and text messaging capabilities.
2: Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate.
5: See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com.
6: SignalWire Communications OGs, Original geeks of program
3: communication
0: it's painless it's online it's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order pogo from underground printing will save you time and hassle whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser organizing a large event or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion ugp is here to help save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy to use site no more guessing what to order chasing down people to pay or wasting time trying to sort out the order we'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax we can even take care of individual shipping to learn more about pogo visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com
7: is your online store sluggish outdated underperforming you may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you.
0: That's back. Oh, uh, welcome back to Emperor Radio 8.5. I had a little bit of a cutout. We're doing this, you know. I uh, I want to preface this segment, which is going to be talking about Michigan's performance against the Iowa offense. (laughs) 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 Uh, The Big Ten Network has just sent out a tweet asking what the most overrated stat in football is. (laughs) Kirk Ferentz's answer, offensive yardage. With that in mind, (laughs) how'd they do, Seth? I mean, up until the
1: the one drive or the two couple drives at the end when everyone was annoyed, you know, they shut them down. They they did as you expected them to do. They didn't try the corners at all. There was like a a couple incidents in zone. Safeties, Moten missed a tackle. Moten is not a linebacker, should not be asked to play linebacker, but that was just kind of a thing where they – it was a passing down and then Iowa moved into a running play and ran a running play and he buried himself in the line and I, you know, was himself, the linebackers Colson, for some reason started spot dropping, which I don't think we've ever seen from him before. That was maybe the most concerning part of this game that like, you know, we, we use the term covering grass, right? Where he's just kind of out there and not looking up receivers. And if, you know Michigan's pass rush came on at the end but they weren't really getting a lot of natural pass rush in the earlier part of the game especially when they had like upshaw out there and they were, like they're playing a five man line and these were um, mostly play action passes so it, you know you're you're not getting a, a the same kind of pass rush you normally get and they're able to get into their routes and you just kind of want you know Colson just look up the second guy like if you have a guy go away from you, and he's going into the next guy's zone. You want him to look up where the next guy's coming from and get in front of him, not just kind of stay put.
0: Yeah, I mean, other than that and some blips from saying we're still like that 3rd and 22 conversion, I don't know if there's really a whole lot to complain about. And then yeah. one thing that did stand out just in terms of like, oh, how that happened was the desperation drive where Michigan knew that, Iowa was gonna throw from the gun that went sack hit sack hit <laughs> and four and out and two of those from Mike Morris, two of them from Yabi Oki. And Morris is now grading out really well in pro football focus stats that aren't offensive line stats. So <laughs> uh, how did he fare in your grading versus everybody's sort of like turning the card on Mike Morris as a potential star? I mean, I I went back and actually
1: looked at like year old charting for Mike for uh, for Chris Wormley, and it's exact, like it's basically the same kind of plays. Actually, you know, blowing up tight ends, getting a you know a plus two for, dest- for destroying his side of the line because he's two ninety two and he just he's just a heavy end now. His pass rush is not like Yabi Oki's pass rush, where he's just dipping his shoulder and getting around a guy. His first pass rush, he times it well. It's like an Aiden Hutchinson level of timing, right? He just he gets the exact snap time. He gets in the backfield. Those two steps get him around the guy. He's starting from way outside, and he wins that pass rush, and he gets the sack. Next down, the guy just got beaten outside. So next sack, he sets him up with a quick step outside, and then he comes inside, and you know, I I've been watching Craig Rose videos on how to defensive line, and like he's he gets really into the weeds. I don't want to do that too much, but Morris is the guy on Michigan's team that you can see has developed those skills, where he's you know he's got the coordination to get his hand down at the same time his foot's in the right spot, so he can convert these into pressures. His other sack was uh, was the same kind of thing, where he got inside. He was originally supposed to be the guy in a um in a stunt where he's supposed to be taking, you know, the center away from Mozzie Smith and giving Mozzie Smith a chance to single up and go and get upfield. And the center just kind of like slips past him and he's got this opportunity now with a guard who's not quite ready for him and he plants his foot and he gets into a lane where he's not going directly at the quarterback. He's going to the left of the quarterback cuz he knows that Smith is going to be able to pressure him into that. And because he gets there, the quarterback there's there's nobody else behind them. So if the quarterback gets loose even you know, a Spencer Petrus is gonna rumble for a few yards, but because of the angle he t- takes and he sets that up with his second step after he's getting through, that sets up that sack. And the same thing with that second sack on the on the four and out drive. So Morris is just like so technically developed at this point that he's getting those things. Uh, he's he's ready for the NFL, is what he is. Hey, hey. <laughs> or or not or not but i mean you can't he's he's developed this is your this is this is the fully formed version of mike morris at this point
0: right and so other concerning events there was the occasional gash in the run game Hmm. um one of those was just rj moten not being a linebacker did you see anything else from michigan's defensive tackles that was a I'd, Reason so, for concern?
1: I mean, the tackles aren't any concern. The only thing in this game is that uh, Smith is out there a lot, right? So his backup is normally Mason Graham. And
0: yeah, but he was starting in this right, game, so right.
1: So when Michigan goes to their five-two, they're going to have all three of the defensive tackles they really trust on the field. When the next guy rotates in is Rayshon Benny. So that I mean, and Benny,
0: was, like he was solid in this game. He's the yeah. one who drew that hold. Like, yeah.
1: And that's exactly what I I was kind of hoping we'd see more of Benny in this game because Iowa likes to, you know, that's what they do is what is what he's good at. He's born to stop stretch zones because he's just well so agile was, and long, right?
0: It's hard to substitute in Rayshawn Benny in the first half because Iowa had about 10 plays. Right.
1: <laughs> right. I and th- But that was the thing. Mozzie Ma- Smith is playing every down in this game. He comes out one down for Cam Good. And when you're doing that, Mozzie's – he starts to drop off. He he was – they're more focused on the tackles, I think, in this game, eating doubles and keeping the linebackers clean. Um, Michael Barrett took advantage of that. I think we got a good game out of Barrett. Like, what you act, what you wanted to see out of Barrett, the maximum you could get out of him in this game, you got. Because it's not the game designed for Barrett, right? They have a fullback. They run a lot of lead zone. So he's yeah. the guy who's going to be ending up taking on that fullback. Yeah. Um, he was responsible for one of the, you know, bootlegs that got outside of him. Everybody did that. The more I looked at that, I was just like, Nobody hangs on that block longer than Sam Laporta, where he's just like, I'm blocking, I mean, I'm blocking, you, I'm blocking. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: you can you can hat tip Sam Laporta there and also be like, Okay, that probably should have been something right. that right. was on film already. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. You give him the minus one and you move on. Yeah. But it's not like it's not a fatal thing, it's not a bad thing. And uh <laughs> I think your uh, Claude Mullings take from last week was uh, fairly vindicated as he had seven snaps in this game.
1: Yeah, and came in after Jimmy Rolder.
0: And and Jimmy Rolder made a play. Yeah. Uh, So not looking good on the Mullings front. Barrett is a stopgap. Colson had a bad game, but we got to roll with Colson. And then how badly does Michigan need Nikhil Green back?
1: Uh, I mean, I... can you get him back I mean it's been a while now I like, wonder like how long these these injuries last because I, I I don't know the insider rumblings I think that somebody said something was on some board that he he's got some leg injury that's not responding well or whatever it is but you know I think Barrett and Colson against most comers is gonna be fine Colson I mean this is it's a weird thing that you feel like you could teach right like you're in zone. Go look up the next guy and get to him. I don't know why you just, you just stopped. And then at the end of the game, he actually, like, they hit him for a long pass, but he's in good coverage. He's he's He takes the, the tight end, and, like, he doesn't give him a very big window, and, you know, they just happened to sail that one in there and hit that over him. But, I mean, maybe within the game itself, he improved his zone coverage. I, it's just so weird. It's like it's not something he hasn't done before, right? Right. And, uh-huh. like, cover three is not new to these guys. I I wonder if maybe he was just kind of uh, – you know, there play-action passes and he sucks down and wasn't really expecting Iowa to be making their hay 20 yards downfield, and that just wasn't what he was prepared for in this game. But I, I would like to see him used more as a blitzer and maybe get a little bit more interesting with the, with the linebackers because you're not going to get – you're not going to have them be linebackers just going to do their job every single play. Barrett, right. maybe, but Barrett's undersized and he's going to get popped out by fullbacks and whatnot. If you always have him doing the same thing, you can game plan that.
0: I, I mean, but. Given the schedule ahead, I don't know if there's anybody on the roster who's really gonna be doing I mean on the schedule that's gonna be doing that consistently. Yeah, I'm sure Michigan like, State saw the the film and has like <laughs> but like okay. what are I they mean, gonna do? Improve to like, you know, two point
1: one yards per carry?
0: Right. Like I like <laughs> you gotta actually have the beef and be able to get to the linebacker. Right. So uh, Illinois, uh, maybe?
1: Yeah. Illinois, Illinois maybe. Illinois' is probably Illinois, the yeah. Yeah Illinois. God, I can't believe that we're talking about Illinois seriously, but that's the truth, right? Like, they've got good offensive linemen. They can stretch. They can run a lot. They can run power concepts, and, you know, they have dudes who can punish you for that. So maybe that's, that's the game they should plan for, but you have the opportunity to do interesting things with them. You have a defensive line that they have to worry about. With Yoki coming on, maybe you've got—I know he was only in on passing situations, but— he ended up getting a couple rushing downs too and doing his job. So, you know, if you're going to have a screen game this week where, like, I guess the pass rush doesn't really matter until third down anyway, you could see another game where just Oki is out there getting reps, getting an opportunity to play, seeing a few things that are weird and getting a couple, you know, coaching moments. And you got to remember, he's not brand new to football, right? Like, he. He grew up playing football in Baltimore. He played for St. Francis, so he had more of a basis there. He did play at Alabama, I, you know. He got he wasn't on the field after a while, but and like he had a couple of years off where he probably got rusty. And then last year in the FCS, he might have been uh, injured or something. But he's played a lot of college football, so some of the things that he's doing are not as new to him as you know they are to Derek Morris.
0: All right, uh, is there really anything to say about the secondary outside of St. Russell hiccups? No. I mean,
1: Sainer still's thing, and I—I this is where I'm kind of going beyond what I what I know and just trying to guess. The difference between Sainer still and Coulson, Colson's kind of messing up things that, like, that's that's a simple thing, right? Like, look up your receiver and go get him. Sainer still, I thought, was trying to play after um, Iowa's tendencies. So he's set up outside. He's got help inside. You know that Sainer still knows. I don't think that he screwed up the coverage I think he was playing games I think he was set up outside figured that meant that they were going to go inside on him if they threw because why would you throw to a guy who's got got leverage and then they throw outside <laughs> anyway and they throw the flag and no one's out there because that's where his help is I think it was too cute the other time um, there was a late switch Moten is trailing behind the tight end Colson is probably supposed to back up and take that away and just let them dump off underneath him uh, because it's a flood concept. And Samer still, I think, is doubling that tight end, thinking, you know, this is Iowa. What do they do? He's going to throw the tight end in his face if it's open. Mm. And so it's – I think he's making decisions at a super high level, not like and, – and that's – it's not a not as much of a knock on him as you would think, but just kind of do your job. I mean,
0: that <laughs> seems fairly fair f- uh, far-fetched. I don't know. All right, we're going to yeah. take a break. Come back and talk about the offense. <laughs> In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit Ann or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693.
5: This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance.
1: This is Seth Fisher from Engel Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company complicated loan.
5: Try and use them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash blog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you?
3: 9. Can
5: I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, Equal Housing Lender. Want the perfect game day outfit?
1: Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com.
0: Hey, so I have, like, insurance and stuff, but I don't really, like, know what's going on with it.
1: Yeah, you- it, your your coverage probably sucks, and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy, uh, He's a, uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled from Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance, and he was like, yeah, your coverage sucks, and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it. I also, like,
0: I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games.
1: Well, I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually, like, reads them, go blog? Well, how would I do that? (laughs) They have a website. They have one of those two. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together and you will save money on your insurance and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto and they do life too. All right.
0: So you're telling me <laughs> if I google Phil Klein insurance this this website will come up. Yes, wonders never cease. Bye. Welcome back to emigo Radio eight point five. Who have we been listening to in the breaks there, Seth?
1: <laughs> That's uh, Arrochen. I'm, I'm I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation because they're uh, sweet. I gotta figure these things <laughs> out. I I was I was listening to like uh, to an old Ann Arbor band, and it was just like you know Spotify moves on to the next thing like it, and I was like, oh, this is a lot better than my friend's band. So. um... <laughs> I, yeah, I looked them up and used them on the podcast, but they're uh, they're interesting, man. They they got pretty pretty musically talented. These guys, Erochin. yeah. All
0: right, let's uh, talk about Michigan versus Iowa on the side of the ball that's actually somewhat interesting. Yeah, I I was
1: surprised that you kind of. Went back and started agreeing with Pro Football Focus after we all were like, hey, no, our offensive line mashed. What are you doing? What do you mean they did? they're they just like, Wait, you know, you... pretty good? No, <laughs> no,
0: that's not what I... That's not actually... I mean, I did say that they didn't actually mash, but the grading was like 72%. And, you know, I think five of the minuses came from the backup tight ends. So okay. in terms of what the... OL oh, well, and Schoonmaker were able to do. like We want 66% of their baseline. When I said they didn't mash, because they didn't. They didn't really blow guys out. But what they did do <clears throat> is they created enough of a crack for Blake Corum or Ethan Edwards to... Not Ethan Edwards. They hockey on the brain. <laughs> Donovan Edwards to, to hop through. And then because they had gone to the linebacker level and it was six versus six because Iowa was playing so passively. I mean, six yards to 10 yards was basically guaranteed. So while it wasn't an impressive performance in terms of like, we're blowing these guys off the ball, it was precise. And given the way I grade, we got a ton of half points. But if you have enough control of your opponent that the running back runs by you and there's Mm -hmm. enough of a hole, you get a half point. Just period. Because the guy you're supposed to block didn't make a play. Right. And you didn't crush him into the end zone. You didn't obliterate his world. But you got your job done. And that was the story of this game. Michigan got the job done on almost every play. And Iowa really made it easy for him. I don't know if I've ever seen a defense that passive.
1: I, I, it's so weird because this is the number one defense in the country to S&P going in. Now, I know that early num- year numbers are weird. But yeah. Iowa returned everybody off of a good defense. And, I mean, it's strange that that would be what they wanted to do, especially because their their safeties were actually really good at helping against the run last year.
0: Well, I think there were two clear things. is that Iowa didn't want to try to run with Michigan's receivers. Mm-hmm. Like, the deep shot to Roman Wilson that was overthrown, Roman Wilson eats up a seven-yard cushion and it is open by four yards. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think they I think yeah. they looked at Roman Wilson in specific and was like we can't run with him we got to leave our safeties back. And when they did creep up periodically, that was one of those plays I think that caught quarters. It was just over. So, I think Michigan's speed at wide receiver forced Iowa to play more passively than they would have otherwise. Um, but even so, like they just got eaten up on the ground and whenever they did go to something more aggressive from their safety packages, Michigan's like wide receivers were wide open for eight yard hitches because the the uh, Iowa running the cornerbacks were playing eight yards off at of the snap, so mm-hmm. it was it was really really bend but don't break. And then okay, they got two touchdowns and two field goals on red zone drives, but <clears throat> that speed option it was there. Yeah, it was
1: it was there. What's where do you come down? <laughs> I do you think that that was. Mich- that Michigan had planned for him not to take hits, or did you think that he just, you know, put it in his head I don't originally know. that he was going to
0: pitch it? I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. It was just a really strange thing for to see a runner do. Is that you've got a ton of space, you've got a couple guys blocking, and they're the opponents are holding the edge. You just don't run out on the edge. Yeah. And like, I I feel like you don't want to put McCarthy in a spot where he's going to get hit a ton if you're going to use this at all, mm-hmm. you got to use it the right way. Like Michigan probably didn't need to run a, a single zone read in this game. And so if you're not going to run a zone read in this game, fine. But if you do run it and you've got a path for 15 yards, then then take it because you're in so much space that the safety is not going to hit you hard, yeah. right? Yeah. The safety is not going to come down and light you up. The safety is going to form up, and as you run by him, try to tackle you. And that's something that you, I think you need to be comfortable with if you're going to run these plays. And even if you're not, just tell him to get down and not baseball slide. Just get down with his, his head forward. Right. Yeah, he, he's done forward. that
1: before. I mean, the reason why I was thinking it was just on JJ is because he had two other opportunities where he got outside of the pocket, one on his own rekeeper and he goes outside and gets out of bounds like immediately. Like That's all he cares about doing. When right, and that gets those up.
0: it gets three yards, and it also draws a holding call on Darius Clements. Yeah, and I mean he was to the safety if he doesn't head outside, and that was on that was at the end of the first half. But Michigan has three timeouts; they got a minute left. They're on the 26. Time is not a factor there. Go get the yards, Um and then on some level, if you're able to be more efficient on offense, you get to stop risking your quarterback. Right. Right. Like if Michigan scores touchdowns on those two drives and they're up twenty-eight to nothing, JJ McCarthy doesn't have to take a hit the rest of the game. Yeah, and there's there's obviously a balance that has to be made. But I mean, if they're playing Indiana, just don't run it. If they're playing Penn State and they're running zone read and McCarthy's got the ball, in my opinion, he's got to get all the yards it's blocked for. It. And then at the end, if you want to. Play discretion is the better part of valor, and get down fine, but but get your first down. And honestly, with JJ McCarthy, like he can break some of those, right? Mm-hmm. Like if he's one on one with a safety, he can put on a move and he can get by. He can get by that guy and get a huge play. So We've,
1: we saw it against Iowa last year. I mean, we saw it against these same yeah. exact dudes.
0: Well, and then so back to the the speed option. Everybody mm-hmm. in the world hated that play call, mm-hmm. and there's a pretty obvious reason why is because there's three. Michigan players trying to block on the edge there because, well, I think it was two. But if you're running a speed option into the boundary and you put receivers into the boundary, to me, that's a play that's designed to be a keep. Mm-hmm. Is if you can sell that linebacker and cut up, you're to the safety. And yeah. that was exactly what happened there. And McCarthy was just 100% pitched the whole way. And given the way that linebackers' hips were pointed, He cannot recover if McCarthy gives a a pitch fake and then keeps. And I don't know if they haven't repped it enough. I don't know if he's just not comfortable with it. I don't know if it was not live. I can never know these things. But given what I have seen from Jim Harbaugh in the past, I think that was live and he just screwed it up. But I don't know. Yeah, We can talk about the happier uh, McCarthy stuff.
1: Well, I mean, I, it leads into the the whole McCarthy approach in this game where you called him, you know, he basically McNamara, and that was exactly yeah. what you needed him to do.
0: I mean, well, he had 26 attempts, 28 attempts in this game, and he had no bad reads from my perspective. And there's always going to be things where he didn't do the maximal thing. But if you get a bad read, it's thrown into coverage or egregiously missing an open guy. So there are obviously situations that he could have done a tiny bit better. There was one TA, which is kind of a throwaway, which is like you couldn't find someone open. It's a lesser version of the bad read, Mm -hmm. and that was when he dumped it down to quorum for a yard. And the thing I'm complaining about is that the fade routes didn't have anyone over the top of him, so he should have taken a shot. Yeah, and that's such a nit. That is (laughs) such a nit. Yeah, and so and in, in the
1: context of this game. Like, even giving them an opportunity to, like, have a play on a ball or getting an interception or something nah, like that.
0: Nah, I mean, if you're throwing it 40 yards downfield, like, you can't. You can't I, it I like know, that. but I'm just saying, like, there's this a, game cer- felt, there's a it certain felt right
1: level turtle to a point where I was like, the absurd becomes reality.
0: There's a certain level of, like, caution that's appropriate, and there's a certain level of caution that is OCD insanity, and, sanity, and uh-huh. I think that would. That would be in, in that category. I mean, um, OCD
1: insanity has never has never appeared in an Iowa football game before.
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that McCarthy did as well as he possibly could have done. I didn't put anything on him for the backwards pass because, mm-hmm. for one, he's got a slant to Bell that's his first read, and he doesn't throw that because Iowa dropped a linebacker right into it. And I yeah. was like, good. And then he comes off of it, and he decides mm-hmm. he's going to throw to Edwards. That's a quick decision. And the only reason that gets blown up is because Trent A. Jones just didn't block a defensive end, and he even gets his arm going forward, right? Like, ninety-nine percent of the time, that's going to manage to go forward, and then it's mm-hmm. just going to be an incomplete pass. So, I, I don't put anything negative on him on that play at all. Um, yeah, and and the pass the other, protection. I was going to say go
1: before we go to that one is the the other play that anyone had any question on with McCarthy was when he threw the he threw it out to Bell, and Bell thought he was going to turn it up and, and throw it to the corner of the end zone, and Bell was trying to get it all in this game, and there were a yeah. couple times where he could have just like you know, Bell wasn't playing on the same page as everybody else on the conservative Iowa game plan.
0: Well, so I can I can see it from both players' perspective because that safety is fairly flat-footed. If he gets a ball to the corner of the end zone, it's probably a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But I can also see it from McCarthy's perspective too, where a pretty good cornerback has turned and is backpedaling and. Generally, you're not supposed to throw over a backpedaling quarterback. Right, and so in certain cir- circumstances, it's okay, like the whole shot that they took at the end of the first half. Hmm. But even that was two feet over the head of of the uh, of uh, two feet over the hand of the quarter cornerback. So if you have less of a planned out deep shot, long story short, given the circumstances of the game, I think. I side with McCarthy and that's how I graded it. Uh but you know I I can see Bell's point of view as well.
1: All right, pass protection.
0: So it was a minus 9 in this game and four of those were Trent a Jones just declining to block the defensive end lined up over him twice which is like
1: what yeah <laughs> what why? <laughs> I,
0: I, and there there was so <laughs> strange too because it Michigan didn't have a back end for either of those. Mm-hmm. So Sometimes you see a line slide one direction and then leave a defensive end to a back. That's usually a very primitive pass protection if you can't get anything else right. And Michigan hasn't used it in a while. But there was like no, no possible way that anyone was going to block either of those defensive ends.
1: They were both Edwards' plays. Yeah. Like, yeah. Edwards is a running they back were both... on both those plays. And, you know, and like, it was a touchdown. Like but...
0: <laughs> Jones had Schoonmaker next to him on, on the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe he thought Schoonmaker was gonna stay in and but Schoonmaker went out in a route. Uh just a couple of mental mistakes. A, a young player in his first stretch of starting, so hopefully it doesn't recur. Other than that, was pretty good. We got one loop uh around on a stunt that Olu couldn't pick up. Oluwatimi. I should only call him Olu in the chart because just I can't type Oluwatimi. I've times. been
1: there. I know.
0: <laughs> um and uh and then Hayes got beat like one and a half times, which mm-hmm. is probably acceptable because he's a left tackle and you're doing what you're doing. So, overall, I felt it was pretty encouraging game. Like, at no point did JJ McCarthy throw a ball in the coverage against Iowa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does Iowa do that scares you? Like, what was Iowa supposed to be able to do that, that was going to make them so good? Like, what are they, I think it's mostly just. Picking plays, right? Like, their linebacker sees what's happening. They get get in a late call. It's hard to fix that. And Michigan took one delay of game, I thought, that was caused by Iowa just having the right play call and Michigan not picking up. Well,
0: and they don't bust. Yeah. Like, was there anything in this game that was someone having a, a brain fart and, like, just opening something up. No, there's there a couple being like, there. I
1: can't. What do I do? I've got quorum in front of me.
0: What do I? Do? Right, like, you've got you got the yeah. quorum thing. You have the deep shot to, to Wilson, where yeah. the guy is just not fast enough for the defense. They've called.
1: Yeah, that's just talent, though. That's just I. Right, hitting, that's just talent. Yeah. yeah. But
0: they're so relentlessly disciplined, and I think they just looked at this game and they were like, "We can't run with these guys mm-hmm. at all." So we just gotta put them in a box and hope it works, and you know if they have the number 60 offense in the country this is probably a competitive game i don't think the strategy was wrong it's just if you don't have the horses on offense to put up more than 7 real points like you can't win games and yeah. and that's just what transpired here um i did love the the first drive when they went to that yo-yo end around again mm-hmm. cuz they had just gotten inside the 20 yeah and you know that that's like a magic line for <laughs> Iowa where it's like okay now we got to ramp it up boys right <laughs> and so these guys are fired up to charge across the line of scrimmage and they get the they get the split flow motion from from Schoonmaker that linebacker level it's done yeah The linebacker electrical is gone yeah and, oh, they're uh,
1: all over. they're all preparing to to slant basically against um against counter Trey, right? Like they're, they're ready to do the thing that you do against counter Trey. The second they see him moving.
0: Right. And they hadn't done that before on that drive. Mm -hmm. They'd played everything pretty passively. And now it's like, okay, now we got to get aggressive because we're at the 18 yard line and Michigan put on the perfect play call. And, you know, we're this deep into the season and my RPS numbers keep coming up hugely positive for Michigan. Now two real games, Mm -hmm. uh, one of them against the defense that's not very good. One of them against the defense that was just terrified of Michigan's offensive skill. So not totally out of the woods yet. I don't think there's a whole lot of drop-off to Josh Gaddis, from Josh Gaddis. And uh, Miami's performance kind of reinforces that. So that was one of our concerns preseason. Like, okay, you lose your coordinator. How's that going to go? Not a concern anymore.
1: You gave a compliment that I don't think I've ever seen you give before and I loved. It was Michigan's a hard target to hit,
0: right? Uh. Well, I... I think I said something along the lines of they're not static. Yeah. They're not just running the one thing until the one thing doesn't work anymore. So you get that blizzard of screens against Yukon. Eh, they're they're gone the next mm-hmm. week. Um, you get the, uh, what is they What do they keep doing? Oh, you get all the tight ends against Maryland. Right. <laughs> and you're like, all right, well, this is tight end city. And then they come out and they run almost entirely three wide against Iowa. So, the plays are, co- are different. The situations are different. The personnel is different. They're running under center stuff. They're running gun stuff. And it's not like kind of back in the day or where they ran that crack sweep until everybody was sitting on the crack sweep. Right, right. And, you know, that they did a little bit with the d- the tight end delay yeah. this year, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, they,
1: they ran the tight end delay a couple of times and it's like, okay, people... Yeah, now this is game. over. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. other than that, like the tight of, other than that one little thing, they haven't allowed what's on film to catch up with what the opponent is preparing for, with one exception. They are still 100 percent run from pistol. Oh God.
1: <laughs> How many pistol snaps do we have this game, though?
0: It wasn't very many,
1: okay. But, but it's
0: such such a huge tip that at this point I assume <laughs> they're going to do it against Indiana, and then they're going to break tendency against Penn State because you have a tendency. Yeah. So you break it profitably. That's that's my bet.
1: Yeah. So, I mean that that was supposed to be the test, right? That's the that was the first big defense we faced, and you're just saying Iowa didn't give us a big enough test.
0: Well, no, I think they did give us a test. It was a, it was a certain kind of test. Uh-huh. And also, so 27 points is one thing, but how many drives did Michigan have in this game? Right, right. How many short fields did they have in this game? Yeah. They had very few drives, and they had no short fields. So pretty good performance.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad they scored a touchdown the first drive. Like you said, it's just getting it
4: out there and getting it in. Yep. <laughs>
6: a mayor and a land
1: surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska. he
3: hates a vodka, bandit from his home. He hates arouska, Ruska. Vodka. vodka, he never drank a single drop. He hates arouska,
5: Ruska. vodka, vodka. there's poison he swears to stop. He's singing la da da da